2: It's only a kick,
0: a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure. You got this,
2: Adidas. Life is a highway.
1: Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello
0: and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Luke, the Deputy Editor at BikeRadar.com. And today I am joined by my beautiful colleagues, Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor across Bike Radar and
1: Mountain Biking UK. I've had a promotion. Have Great. You? Not senior yet, but... Um, uh, I thought you were
0: a senior s- tech editor. Well, I'm sorry, Tom. I
1: haven't been told yet, I'm, but I'm hoping I will be soon.
0: All right. Yeah.
1: Well, there you go. A little spoiler alert <laughs> that I didn't even know about. type us
0: type Tom's manager's listening. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm also joined by Senior Tech Writer, for sure, I hope, Simon Von Bromley, who's joining us remotely today. Tom, Marvin, how
1: are you today and what have you been up to? I am okay today, thank you, Jack. Um, I have been up to uh, visiting Tailfin and my friends there and uh, going to Cotswold Outdoors and buying some camping kit because I'm going camping soon and I needed some bits and pieces. Going camping for a very extended period? Yeah, I'm going camping for six weeks. You're
0: going to be very sick of sleeping mats by uh, the end of that. I hate camping. Yeah. I haven't even
1: left yet and I hate camping. <laughs>
0: Simon Von Romley, big fan of Egyptian cotton sheets. How do you feel about the idea of
1: uh,
2: six weeks of camping and how are you today? I would never do that. Yeah. Like when Tom's Tom's sitting there joking that he hates camping, like I actually hate camping and wouldn't ever dream of doing <laughs> it. You know, even the idea of a kind of festival uh, camping is is a turn off to me. So, yeah, you know, all, all fine here. Um, I've been testing a lot of expensive road bikes for the kind of um, bike of the year recently, which has been very fun. And, You know, um, testing a lot of six to eight thousand pound bikes—they're all very good in good Uh, weather as well. Six to to... eight thousand
1: pound bikes—they've all been very good, have they? Yeah. Who could have predicted it?
0: (laughs) Speaking of festivals, we've had a bit of a fiesta of uh, cycling news across. Thank you very much, cycling news across (laughs) Bike Radar (laughs) in recent weeks. It has been—you know—this will mean very little to the to listeners, but from a sort of New sound perspective it's been a bit bonkers on site and we've barely been able to keep up with the uh, cadence of new products that have been launched so
1: as you'll probably find out when we start talking about these new
0: products but today we're going to bring you uh we'll call it four and a half highlights from the last couple weeks uh, across gravel cycling road bikes and mountain biking some key key stories uh, and kicking things off we're going to go into the 2022 Cannondale Topstone Carbon, which has been lightly updated, we'll say, uh, for the new season. Key updates include moving to a threaded bottom bracket, worth mentioning off the bat because any mechanics listening probably won't be sad to see the back of uh, Press Fit 30, or B is it BB30 on Cannondale?
2: Yeah, it was PressFit 30. PressFit
0: 30. Maybe Simon, a big fan of PressFit bottom brackets, but I'm not going to get <laughs> started on that because this is only a short podcast. <laughs> um, lightly updated geometry, uh, new builds across the board, and something we're going to focus on for a little bit, just because I think it's quite interesting, a move away from Cannondale's asymmetric integration rear end, which previously saw the rear wheel dished off by 6 millimeters to the left? To the right. To the right. Uh, oh. oh, I can't remember. It's been so long.
1: The drive chain was bought... Out by the, the 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 drive train was bought rightwards by six, yeah, and then wow, We then it's very basically you couldn't
2: use basically you couldn't use normal wheels. You had to use deals with wheels with a specific dish
1: for this bike, yes. which don't really exist. <laughs> no, but it did. I mean, it made sense in in some respects because well, it meant Before, the yeah, before we but say the, why it made sense, the problem is availability yeah.
2: rather than whether it's a bad or a good idea. Yeah.
0: So anyway, we've moved away from that on Cannondale, which, as Simon alluded to there, is probably a good thing, I think, uh, because it does just mean if you already have a set of wheels, then you can slap them straight onto this bike. And redishing a set of wheels is usually possible for the most part, maybe not the most mechanically best thing you can do from a wheel building perspective, but nonetheless, it was possible. But for me, threaded bottom brackets, normal dished wheels, that all hints towards... I would say for as a brand who historically haven't been afraid of um, proprietary designs, maybe a bit of a recalibration in their thinking there. And you've arguably seen that a little bit on the road bike side as well with their, their uh, particular um, interpretation of aero cockpits, where, yes, it is a sort of um, unique design to them, but it is much, much more... Uh, adaptable than a typical one piece cockpit but the bikes are also designed to also run with a typical two piece cockpit what do you think simon
2: yeah i mean i would, i'm kind of on the same ballpark as you jack i think it's broadly a good idea simply because yes it's it's possible you know if you had a wheel set that you were desperate to use in this new bike you could redish it to fit mm-hmm. you know the the topstone potentially but then that also means it's no longer compatible with the bike you just took it off as well so you know if you <laughs> then again, yeah, if you get another bike in the future or even if you, you know, have multiple bikes and you're just kind of swapping wheels between to swap tires, you know, it, it becomes a bit of a faff. And and I, and I agree with Tom that there are some good engineering decisions behind it. You know, it meant that you could have, you know, short chainstays and lots of tire clearance, you know, which, which is great, but I'm not entirely convinced that, you know, redishing wheels just to save, you know, a few millimeters on chainstay length is worth it for the majority of people. So uh, yeah, I I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's generally a good step. And the same with, um, you know, the bottom bracket thing. You alluded to earlier that, you know, on on paper, I I kind of am off the opinion that press-fit bottom brackets, you know, they're kind of lighter, stiffer, all of that sort of stuff. But I guess for, you know, a kind of gravel bike where, you know, there's lots of mud involved, lots of sand involved, lots of, you know, grit and things like that, then, you know, if you're going to be having to change the, the bottom bracket bearings out more frequently, then it is certainly easier for a home mechanic who doesn't have, you know, bearing presses and all of that sort of stuff to deal with a threaded bottom bracket. And I know that, yeah, it's a kind of minority opinion <laughs> that press fit bottom brackets An are better. An <laughs> extremist
0: opinion, one might, I might say. Um, on the subject of sort of integration, um, Cannondale has also introduced its Smart Sense system onto the topstone. Now, we saw this... Uh, what, about two months ago, I reckon it would be, Mm -hmm. with the Synapse, or Synapse, rather. Um, And essentially, it's our integrated lighting and rear-view radar system, which is an integrated battery pack that slots into the down tube of the uh, Topstone and also the Synapse. And it's quite a neat design on paper. Personally, I'm not, like... Hugely sold on it as a concept, the idea of separate accessories doesn't really offend me, but you know for some people, I do get it. Maybe I'm just coming from perspective of being picky. What do you think tom?
1: uh I think from as someone who frequently forgets to charge uh electronic devices, uh having just one big electronic device as it effectively is uh to charge is maybe a little bit easier, but at the same time. It ties you into things that you might not necessarily really want. Like I like to pick and choose my my lights, and mm. I mean I don't ride a, re- a radar system, but my lights does it plug into GPS? Well, keep that charged, maybe you know. Like I'm I'm one for picking and choosing the bits I really want, not being picked and chosen for. By, uh, <laughs> Picks and picked <choosing>. <laughs> <laughs> <that's laughs> and chosen for uh, by someone in uh, in North America. Mm, um, fair enough. But yeah, I mean to be fair, like they used, you know the Garmin um, uh, the Garmin radar type uh ecosystem and, and i think it was design lights maybe yeah. you know this It's all good stuff um what do you think you've used a garmin radar haven't you yes
0: i actually really like
1: mm-hmm. it it de- very much depends on
0: the type of riding you're doing for urban riding or busier roads it's useless it's actually really annoying mm. more than anything else <laughs> because you know like that awareness you should just have anyway and if there's so much traffic, it doesn't really matter if it's telling you a car's approaching
2: because they're just will There's cars exactly. approaching. Exactly. But that's not a problem for a gravel bike, is No,
0: it? but on a gravel bike or on quieter rural roads, I actually really like it. Mm. You know, I, mm. I, I did find it, it noticed cars long before I did. And it, it wasn't too intrusive, but I can see why some people wouldn't necessarily like mm. it. Um, I... I would call it a win radar in general, but the interface on it, the kind of head unit side of things was a bit annoying. Anyway, um, if you want to get the full scoop on the new Cannondale Topstone, including some very brief ride impressions from our very own Robin Furtado, head to Bikeradar.com where we have the full story there. It's Mm. a very, very good one. And uh, we've also got a video on the YouTube channel. Now, the Cannondale Topstone was arguably one of the first mainstream uh, gravel bikes to come with full suspension. We did have the Cannondale Slate some years before, but in terms of a full suspension layout, the Topstone definitely was one of the, the front runners there. But sticking with the subject of gravel suspension, we're going to go into the new Fox 32 Tapercraft gravel fork, which is the newest um, gravel fork from uh, Fox Components. We previously saw their AX Adventure Fork which, to be generous, was essentially a <laughs> slimmed down version of old mountain bike tech, wasn't universally loved. Had some quite strange spec choices, including a post mount brake and boost spacing. Maybe Tom? No, it wasn't boost spacing. No, it was
1: fifteen by one hundred, I think. But if- were, it was more like the crown was hit your down tube a little bit. And yeah,
0: it wasn't a particularly refined design, and it very, very much was.
1: I mean, it was a thirty-two that had been shrunk from one hundred mil to thirty mil. And that was pretty and that much. That was it. basically all they did.
0: Now, the thirty-two taper cast is totally different. Mm. It really is a proper, from the ground up, new gravel suspension fork. Um its most distinctive feature is, as the name suggests, it's quite aggressively tapered lowers, which do really go down to like a point at the bottom. They have very um pronounced sort of what would you call it weight reduction casting towards the yeah. bottom of the lures I mean,
1: imagine a Rockshox mag 21 from yes 20 years ago and <laughs> color it orange and put some gold stanchions on it and <laughs> it's pretty
0: much that and it does look an awful lot like the old Rockshox ruby as well mm. uh, and the fork does have more than a passing resemblance to the new Rockshox
1: rudy rudy
0: yes the rudy which is the uh newish gravel fork which launched last year um Tom, I'm going to go to you first. Mm-hmm. Simon, I'm sorry to say, you know, you are our go-fast aero boy. Tom, with his uh, mountain bike knowledge, is probably best advice to comment on this. What do you think of the new fork? What are its key highlights? What do you think of gravel suspension? Give me your...
1: Um, I will start with the big question, gravel suspension. I uh, I am a fan. Um, I think if uh, rigid forks were meant to be faster... Uh, and rigid bikes are meant to be faster, cross-country mountain biking would all be done on rigid bikes. And it's not. Everyone pretty much races most of the time on full suspension bikes because if you have anything other than very smooth surfaces, suspension makes things faster. Even Formula One cars have suspension. So very good point. Um, He's not a bit wrong. a proof that I am not wrong. Um, so the key <laughs> aspects of the fork. So it's a, a 1.5 to 108 steerer tube only, uh, and that has been cited um, because of... Uh, supply chain issues with coronavirus so if you don't have uh, 1.5 to 1.8 you might be disappointed
0: what would be Um, the other alternative for most gravel riders out there tom
1: well, I mean, there are various other standards out there, which depends very much on the bike uh, into which you may fit it. I just wanted to kind of give you a little uh, <laughs> pop quiz on your uh, <laughs> steerer. Uh, it's very steer kind range. of you. I appreciated that one. Um, the other sort of notable feature, other than sort of its tapered legs, and which weirdly Fox apparently claimed does give you some aero benefits by... I, I call a little bit of uh, wishful mm. thinking on there <laughs> uh, is the use of a reverse arch uh, similar to what Manitou currently do on their forks similar to what Pace often did with their forks as well um, and the idea of that is that uh, because uh, of the way like fork rakes work and all that sort of stuff having an arch that is behind the two legs um, means it can be a little bit lower it uh, doesn't have to extend quite so high uh, which shaves weight um, so that's helped bring the fork down to twelve, thirteen hundred grams. Which, you know, it's not like crazy light, like, but mm-hmm. it's and it's I think it's a touch on our scales it's a touch heavier than the Rock Shocks. Uh, Rudy, uh, it's a bit heavier than the lefty and it's significantly heavier than the the Grit. Um, The Love Grit, that is. The Love Grit fork, yeah. Um, And yeah, it comes in three versions. You've got uh, Performance, Performance Elite and Factory. So the Factory is the Whiz Bang Super Posh one with the uh, Grip 2 Damper that is borrowed... Oh, sorry, Fit 4 Damper um, borrowed from the Fox 32 Mountain Bike Fork um, with Kashima-coated stanchions. So that's a, a gold... Uh, stanchion uh, which has micro pores in it which is said to have lower friction uh, the performance of the fork gets the same internals but um, with a non-gold uh, suspension uh, stanchions and the performance one gets the basic grip damper which is my damper of choice
0: is it now? yeah,
1: I, I give me a fork Okay, on the mountain bike side of things give me a grip two fork or a grip fork and for the middle of the bell curve rider I would argue that the grip damper is better
0: well, there we go. There well, we go. For the um, benefit of our gravelly listeners, you know, how different is the tune? And I guess, actually, physically, how different are these dampers to those seen on the mountain bikes?
1: I don't think they're going to be massively different. I think the Fit4 damper will be sort of transposed pretty much straight over from the 32. Um, I believe the, the well, the 32TC has those 32 millimeter diameter stanchions. This um, is the Fox's cross-country
0: for fork.
1: Yes, the Fox 32, well, the Fox 32 uh, is the XC fork and the 32TC is the gravel fork. Same diameter stanchions, so internally they're going to have the same in, internal sort of shape and size. So it, it will be the same damper. I'd be pretty much uh sure of that with a very similar but shortened air spring um i think the uh they say that it doesn't need so many tokens so air spring tokens in there so it should be a little bit more controlled with less travel um than the uh fox ax which required a lot of tokens uh, in there but um, we, we, we could get quite geeky with all of this but i think it remains to be seen how it actually rides warren mm-hmm. warren has a set but um yeah I don't think like the suspension elements of it are going to be huge a difference to the Fox thirty two mountain bike fork. Obviously the the, the lowers architecture is different.
2: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
0: <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? a, you, you've only entered the tasting menu of the gravel world. You haven't gone straight to the, the full three course. Is it,
1: have you got a posh gravel bike? Because obviously a tasting menu is often quite posh. <laughs> like You don't go to, to Nando's I don't, to I don't get have a tasting a gra- I don't have a gravel bike at all. Although oh, right. I suppose Pete, Sa- Pete Sampson,
2: who has a gravel TCR, might disagree with me. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I believe that tom is correct when he says that formula one cars have suspension um i've not seen one up close but i believe that is a thing <laughs> so yeah I, I, do, I do think he's right that um you know suspension generally makes bikes faster i think the whole the you know the fact that it weighs you know 1.3 kilos whereas a kind of regular fort weighs you know i don't know a gravel fort weighs probably 400 grams i mean you know 900 grams doesn't make much difference even when you're going uphill. So it's probably worth the extra weight if you're riding on kind of really gnarly terrain and you're and you're kind of interested in you know especially kind of going downhill fast. I think that kind of you know the thing about there's a small kind of aero benefit from having the you know the lower legs of the fork kind of taper off a bit. I mean, yeah, but if you're interested in aero, you know, you're not going to be running a suspension fork like this because is kind of ruining that whole you know like if you want to kind of air a gravel bike you're going to get something kind of like the free t explorer um and then you're going to kind of use your kind of tire as the suspension system I, i imagine rather than the rather than the fork but um But I think it's definitely interesting. I I think you know when I hear that they say, "Oh, we've designed this gravel fork from the ground up," it's kind of like, "Well, why does it look so much like a mountain bike fork?" Then, like Mm -hmm. uh, that would that was kind of my initial reaction to it. And and I think like there's going to be a lot of kind of you know roady gravel people who you know like for me, I, I if I was buying a gravel bike right now, it wouldn't be one with a suspension fork like this, just because I kind of I want my. You know i basically want my gravel bike to be a road bike which then i take off road um but i'm looking at it from a very kind of narrow perspective and you know if you're if you're a mountain biker and you're kind of used to using suspension and, and things like that and you want a bike that is you know able to take on kind of technical trails as it were which is something that you know i don't think i would be interested in doing then this, this, I'm sure, you know, is going to improve performance massively compared to a rigid fork.
0: That said, if you're following Tom Marvin's logic, then you know Formula One cars, which go on the smoothest roads of all, have suspension. Simon, could the road bike of the future have suspension on it, or would you do? You, do you
2: scoff? Yeah, possibly. I, you know, I think it's a kind of, um, I think it's an, in, you know, it's a, probably an under, under-explored area. I, I, I guess the, you know, the question is, is do do kind of road bikes need it? Like, and, and you know, obviously we know that uh, you know, vibrational losses are, are a thing, but that's generally, you only get those when you're running your tire pressures too high. And obviously with bicycles, we're using the kind of the air spring in your tires as suspension. So as long as you're kind of riding a tire that has enough volume for your, you know, system weight and you're not bouncing up and down and losing traction, then it, it, there's kind of, there's a question of whether that, that added suspension on top of that, is a kind of worthwhile gain if it increases aerodynamics. You know, it, it, on a time trial bike, for example, you know, having a fork like this would massively increase aerodynamic drag, uh, and therefore it's going to cost you more time. You know, around a typical time trial course than, you know, having a rigid fork and just lowering your tire pressure ten psi. <laughs> just wait until we see gravel
0: um, time trials come up. So, that's why I'm looking forward. But yeah, to
2: that. but yeah, you know, and 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 that's the thing. It like it totally depends on what you're doing you know we don't think we're going to see these forks hitting any track bikes soon but like (laughs) if if kind of you know if the gravel uci series takes off and we start having gravel time trials you know like why not right that would be a really interesting category to see how people would you know because we know people use aero bars in in gravel events right so it's clearly possible to to do that sort of thing like uh, it would be i think it would be really interesting to see a race organizer try something different like that Mm.
0: Now before we move away from Fox and suspension uh Tom Marvin mm. on the mountain bike side of things we also saw Fox uh release a little update to its 36 Enduro E trail fork what's the what's the key details on that one? I Did
1: see an update to it the most the biggest update I believe is the new, is a new crown um which has a, a like a, a larger steerer tube uh overlap um so more stereo tube in the crown which uh, is there basically it's going to improve durability um and sort of keep things a little bit stiffer and obviously if you have a better overlap you can also in theory drop a little bit of weight when they reckon they've saved 20 grams
0: 20 grams yeah <laughs> stop press
1: Whoa. Yeah. i mean that pretty much is uh, yeah there's probably more than 20 grams worth of paint on on the fork but hey 20 grams is 20 grams mm. um it actually wasn't it wasn't a huge update. Um, it was a mid life cycle um update. We don't expect to see a brand new fork from Fox for another year or two. Um so yeah, just yeah, little running changes here and there.
0: Nice. Yeah. Did you know I, I only recently discovered follow this very good Instagram account called Sterling Bike Doctor. And mm. I came across it first because he has this. Quite uh, torture like, torture chamber like contraption for removing stuck seat posts. But he quite
2: Glorious re- content. Oh, it's fantastic
0: content. But he quite regularly um, replaces steerers and mm. forks. I had no idea that steerers were a pressed in component mm. in a crown. I always assumed they were sort of permanently bonded or kind of cast, well, not cast, but you know what I mean? Like part of the, the yeah, crown yeah. essentially. And yeah, he quite often will convert modern forks to straight steerers or add longer oh, steerers. Really? Yeah, really. that's really worth the follow. I don't think it's something Fox would necessarily encourage, but nonetheless, it is a thing that's possible.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the steerer crown interface is known for creaking, mm. um, certainly after a, a year or two's use on, on longer travel forks. Um, and I've, yeah, I know a couple of people have had their steerer tubes um, repressed. Mm. Um, there are some folks where it is an integrated, um, generally in lighter weight folks, but um,
0: yeah, there,
1: there we go, go an interference fit. Mm. Well, is, well it? press fit hey? it could be press wow. fit, it could be
0: interference fit. There's all sorts of different levels cool. in the engineering world. But write in and let us know which <laughs> it is if you actually, know. if you know.
1: actually know rather than speculating.
2: You make them, you make them threaded, right? It's easier for <laughs> easier for mechanics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, why not? You know what? I'm, I'm not going to keep you in suspense any longer tom marvin you're absolutely desperate to talk about this one <laughs> <laughs> the lauf Segler, 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 segla all new updated suspension tastic gravel work mm. from our favorite icelandic mm-hmm. brand
1: tom over to you what is the scoop well, so Love have a new gravel race bike called the Segler. Uh It is an evolution of the True Grit, uh, which certainly our North American gravelistas will be quite familiar with. It's a very popular bike over there. Mm. Um, it isn't. So a couple of years ago, uh, we ran a story about some patents that oh, Live yes, has this. on um, leaf sprung rear suspension for gravel, um, and this isn't that bike. Uh, (laughs) that bike is is still in development. But this is the stepping stone uh, between the True Grit and the future coming uh, full suspension bike. Um, It is basically a dropped seat stay uh, gravel race bike with huge tire clearance. So there's room for, uh, I think it was 57C rubber on 700 or effectively 29 by 2.25 inch tires. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one by only. Um, they're using a BB or BSA 73 bottom bracket shell instead of the usual BSA 68. So they've had to get SRAM to build some cranks for them mm. with a longer axle. Um, it uses a very th- thin but deep uh, chainstay plate where it leaves the BB into the uh, seat stays which again gives a little bit more uh, clearance um, and uses things like thin top tubes um, at the junction with the seat tube um, and a uh, slacker real seat tube angle um, which Projects forward of the BB, so it's not UCI compliant, um, but it, it maintains the same geometry as a true grit with a seventy-two point five degree seat angle. I think, um, and the old, uh, the idea of that is basically that the seat tube can flex, um, and it gives you basically ten millimeters of rear axle to saddle uh, compliance. Um, Interesting. Which and they've done that without using pivots, without using like little pins through seat tubes, without Mm. You know, doing anything fancy, it's just the way that the carbon uh, is laid up and the shapes of the tubes and the positions of them.
0: Two two things strike me with that. I mean, first off, that is very interesting. But it's interesting to see a brand put a number to that figure. Like, we will often see bikes across, you know, all, all disciplines, mm. but they'll say, oh, it's got excellent rear-end comfort. So to see Lauf actually quantify that with a claim, obviously, we, you know. I mean, they measured it. it. Well, I believe
1: you measured it. Yeah, well, they showed us the measuring device. Oh, They've they got some elastic bands strung between the rear axle and the saddle um, and <laughs> with a little chart on it, and you could you could watch it bounce up and down, and it showed you how much, measurement, how much movement there was. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well,
0: it's certainly better than just saying it's X percent yeah. more comfortable.
1: Their percent is it's three times more compliant than the True Grit.
0: Interesting. The other thing that struck me from what you said there is that, you know, Obviously, us in the beating heart of cycling media, we do tend to see products a little bit earlier than the public. Mm. But generally speaking, it's not as far in advance as you might imagine. So it's quite unusual for a brand launching a new bike to openly admit that they're working on something else. Mm. I think it's a good, personally, I think it's a good thing for consumers because they can decide maybe what they want to do. But what was their sort of rationale behind that? Did they give any indication as to why they?
1: Um- they, yeah, I think the the full suspension bike is still a little way off, mm. and I think they recognise that gravel's moved on since the True Grit was launched. So it has forty five uh, clearance for forty five, which you know, okay, I just noticed actually that the Topstone is also only has clearance for forty five or fifty. It's, it's quite narrow, really, mm. and I think they felt that actually the way gravel was going, that that was a compromise that they didn't really need to make. Um, there was also complaints about the true grit, and you know, one of the things I sort of mentioned was that you know, with a with a fork at the front, you really notice that the back end isn't that compliant, um, and so they felt that you know, there there was a, a a stepping stone that was probably very much demanded, um, and given that the full suspension bike is still years away. Hmm. um you know you, you either have a true grit that's six years old and very much long in the tooth and, and largely irrelevant or you you know you have a bike that's comes in <laughs> um,
0: yeah, any little, true grit listener owning listeners
1: are going my I, bikes are relevant i still know as in like in the context of brand bin new it. gravel like if you own a true grit bin it, bin now. it now by sake or anything else um but i think you know <laughs> uh, bike cycle, life cycles aren't six years long um and no, that's where aren't. the true grit would have been um Thanks, capitalism. Eh? Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but yeah, so I think that's probably one of the reasons why. I mean, it's a very accomplished gravel bike. It's still probably one of the most compliant gravel bikes out there, if their measurements are to be believed. They mm-hmm. they've measured um, uh, tre- checkpoint with the IsoSpeed coupler. They've measured Topstones, and it sits in between the two. They're very open. Said so I think I think they said the Topstone has a bit more compliance, and that the IsoSpeed sense, has a little bit there. less.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so they're not claiming to be the best, but they're claiming mm-hmm. like this is what it is. But they're also um, yeah, I think it's a very valid thing to have gone under. I am. I haven't ridden...
0: No, I have ridden the Lauf very briefly. Actually. I actually did the uh, Rebase Sportive a few years yeah, ago did, with, yeah. with um, Ruben. Uh, but I haven't ridden the Topstone. I have just ridden the Checkpoint. Mm. And uh, I think there's real merit in mm. these, uh, these sort of compliance systems. I always thought ISO speed was perhaps a tiny bit gimmicky. But having ridden the Domani, the Checkpoint, and the Madone briefly... It's a good old system. It yeah. does genuinely work, yeah. and uh, I would trust you, Tom, in believing that the uh, the Segler would also be equally comfortable. What do you think, Simon? How does this bike make you feel as an uncompromising aero weenie? Well, what do you think about putting 2.25 inch tires on a drop? I mean, bar that's back?
1: that's the max. So uh, it, it comes with <laughs> 40s. It will, will come with 45s from stock, um, and they've sent one test back with 50s.
2: We're not looking for nuance here, Tom. We're <laughs> looking for. T- uh, I could still run 23 millimeter course of speeds if I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, Is that exactly. What you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, th- I think you know, uh, like. I think it's a kind of a cool idea and I it's I feel like you said it's it's definitely nice that um Lauf have kind of demonstrated that that ten millimeters of um travel at the rear. because, uh, yeah, Jack, Jack, Jack's totally right. Like that's something that we'll often hear without a kind of specific number or even any specific evidence. Um, you know, I, I think Lauf's approach to to the kind of fork is also is also interesting. Um, you know, I've, I've not ridden one. I, I, one thing I did want to kind of quiz you on was this new BSA 73 bottom bracket. So, so you know, because this this is one of the things that... Um, I wanted to kind of bang on about this subject, but this is one of the reasons why press fit bottom brackets are good because you then don't have to account for that extra space and you, and you can therefore, you, you know, have wider chainstays and more tyre clearance without being constrained. But does that mean that you have to have... You no, know, You can only use that specific crank um, that's built for it. There are,
1: so SRAM have got three cranks for it, uh, Force, Red, and Rival, um, including the power meter ones. Uh, there are a couple of other brands out there doing a road or gravel crank with uh, a, an adaptable axle. I think Praxis was mentioned. Easting, Eastern, probably sort of thing, yeah. yeah. Would um, it work
0: with a mountain bike crank or would the chain ring offset being? correct. Mm, I think the boost. chain
1: ring offset would be not quite right. The other thing that's worth noting that even with this wider bottom bracket with the SRAM cranks the way they're designed, the Q factor's still narrower than uh, Shimano's GRX on a 68. Apparently.
0: Hmm. There you go. Yeah, fair, fair.
1: Um, yeah, but, I mean fair yeah, because you know I, you know speaking as someone who's mechanically incompetent, um, <laughs>
0: I once described you as having tatty hands in an uh, article. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, a threaded VV, you know, from a from a lifetime, you know, like from a from a mechanic in at home point of view they're much easier they're much easier
2: yeah no I know I, I just yeah I just kind of a, a, anything that like is a non anything that's a kind of like a new non-standard sort of mm. makes me think well, isn't that going, going against mm. the whole point of threaded Bond brackets but um but yeah, I, I like think, maybe, maybe it works. And if more people adopt it, and you're right that, you know, I I, I was kind of thinking, well, oh, you wouldn't be able to run X crank. But if you've got cranks which have a kind of, as you say, a, a separate axle, I'm then it's just a matter of changing the axle. I'm sure Rota so, would
1: do it as well. Yeah. I think their sort of point on that was that, you know, if some, if gravel bikes originated now mm. um, with a 73mm BB and then someone bought out one with a 68, everyone would be like, why are you doing that? You know, like mm. it's it's... Mm. Seven, you know, it's wider. You can still get your Q factors nice and narrow. It's stiffer. It means more tire clearance. Uh, you know, like it's better.
0: Fair enough. Yeah,
1: fair enough. Yeah. Um, there is a bike in the in the in the shed. I don't know if I've got time to test it before I leave. So you're welcome, more than welcome to jump on it. I'd, I'd love you to jump on it and ride it. Maybe I will. Yeah, you should.
0: The shed, by the way, is where we keep all our bikes. Yeah. <laughs> a little
1: rickety wooden thing with a yeah. padlock on the door. Yeah, we're not going to tell anyone where it is though. <laughs> Down the back of my yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Finally, we're going to have a little bit of a road dessert uh, to finish things off. Um, We're actually recording this just before the race, Um, so perhaps it will be used to great success. And maybe someone from the team will have won using this bit of tech. But earlier this week, we reported that a wireless €3,998 tyre pressure control system would be raced at Paris-Roubaix. Simon Von Bromley, you brought the story mm. in this one. Please tell me everything I need to know.
2: Yeah, so it, it kind of, it's a, you know, it does what it says on the tin. It basically allows the rider, it's a system that mounts to the wheel hub, connects to the, to the tubeless valve and allows uh, air basically to flow between the tyre and this device mounted on your hub according to the control of the rider. So... Um, basically means you can adjust your tire pressures on the go. Now, we kind of don't really have that many details on this product. They've kind of put it on their website. Team DSM are the team who are going to be using it because they're sponsored by uh, this brand, Scope, which is a a Dutch wheel company. Uh, The UCI have apparently approved it for use, which... I think it's frankly mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. You know, when, Given when their, we consider, yeah. not because I, you know, am against innovations, but just when we consider the kind of things that the UCI have banned in recent years, like you know, doping. You're not allowed to. It's way more fun when well, they used to allow doping. <laughs> socks, but you're not allowed to rest your forearms on handlebars. For an example, that was an in- innovation too far for the UCI. You're not allowed socks that go up past the midpoint of your calf. You're not allowed end caps on wheels that are aero profile. You know. These were all techni- technological innovations too far, but this system allows that allows you to lower and raise your tire pressure continuously on the go is apparently that's fine um and like the you know the u c i press release said um you know it's fine because it doesn't contain an air compressor you know i mean obviously because you know air compressors are massive. <laughs> <laughs> um but they also said it doesn't contain any moving parts which is impossible because it must have valves yeah. mm. which which will move according to yeah contr- so i you know I, 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 I think it might be one of those things that if 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 it works kind of as advertised you know the scope is claiming a 30 watt advantage potentially because obviously you know if you're if you're optimizing your tire pressures for the cobble sections your tire pressures will be too low uh, for optimum rolling resistance on the tarmac sections, and like you know, likewise, if you optimize for optimum rolling resistance on the tarmac sections, your tire pressure will be too high for optimum rolling resistance, comfort, and grip on the cobbled sections. So most people have had to kind of find a, a balance. You know, um, you maybe take take obviously take a larger tire that gives you more leeway, but you kind of take a risk and say, well, you know, I'm either my strategy is I'm going to try and get through the cobbled sections and then have good tire pressures for the kind of, you know, run to the line because I want a time trial away on the tarmac or whatever. Or, you know, if you want to attack on the cobblestone sections or it's wet, then, you know, you're going to optimize your tire pressures for that and then just try and hold on on the the tarmac sections and assume that everyone else will be doing the same thing. But if if you can, you know, continually change your tire pressures throughout the race, then you're not losing, theoretically, you're not losing anything. Now, I don't know how quickly or slowly this device works because they, haven't given mm. any details. Um, but if it works quickly enough to be to be useful, you know, this this could be a, a huge innovation. And, you know, I mean, it's, it'd be that classic thing where, you know, the UCI has had a tendency to, um, you know, ban things after they've been successful. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be the case that, um, you know, this team uses it. They don't have any of the major favorites. I think their kind of best, best chances with uh, Niels Ekhoff, who um, won the, I believe it was the under 21 uh, World Road Race Championships before in Yorkshire, but then got disqualified for drafting a team car back to the bunch after after a crash. Um, but he's a very useful rider. But otherwise they don't have a kind of, you know, they definitely don't have a Tom Boonen or a Cancellara type rider. So I suspect they're not going to win and this might die down it'll be interesting to People see if they're laughing fa- a lot if he's won <laughs> on when this comes out i mean if if they uh, and but this is the other thing right if if he ha- if if they do win you know and obviously we like, like you say this is going to go out afterwards and we're recording it before but if they have won, then everyone will be attributing it Mm. to this device mm. and this this poor rider who was you know won the biggest race of their career will probably get none of the credit <laughs> I,
0: I i just i don't quite understand how it works and i know you don't either simon because it hasn't been explained but to my mind i think i think i do well i think i do uh, can i guess then I, yeah. I all i can imagine it happening happening is either it's got one or two chambers within this thing and it either releases air into another chamber at which point there's kind of no point in putting it into the chamber because then it's it's not going to be able to push that air back in because the air would just release, you know, it'd be at a lower Mm. pressure. So one assumes that if you lower pressure, it just expels it out. And then to increase the tire pressure again, it must have a pressurized chamber that's above the tire Mm. pressure of the tire that will allow you to feed it in a certain number of times. And if it doesn't have a compressor, as it says, then, you know, you will be limited to whatever the volume of that um, chamber is until the tire essentially equalizes in pressure with that chamber. The alternative would be that if maybe it has a CO2 canister in it and they're really high pressure. Am I
2: right, Simon? Uh, Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah. Obviously we don't, yeah, like you say, we don't know whether it has a a CO2 canister or if it's something like you say, you kind of have to like pump up so that it's above the pressure and then it can, as you say, it has one chamber that you can take out with and one chamber that would be used to go up. I, yeah, they haven't given us anything. Yeah, you know, we did ask,
1: but um, it's, you know, it's quite a, they didn't. It's quite a bulky thing. Respond. Just looking at the photos, it's not. It, it's like triple the diameter of a normal hub. Yeah, it's fairly, fairly are, yeah. chunky. Here, there is just a of sixteen gram CO two canisters and They've <laughs> gone to Lifeline and Job <laughs> Lot, and
0: it's very strange. I have to say, like, I, I like you, Simon. I think innovation is cool. I think this is something that could be really like properly. Game changing in a race like Roubaix. Mm. I think where I slightly struggle with this is that from a consumer's point of view and the broader market, like who's going to buy this? Even those, yeah. even those dedicated, one hundred racer. You know, like road racers are conservative at the best of times. The idea of putting this thing on would probably be horrifying to many riders. But like the use case is so so narrow now like, it's a bloody great way to get headlines for scope wheels, you know, we're all talking about it, we're doing a podcast on it but like, as an actually usable bit of technology I, d- I just don't see the wider applications, and there is actually you might remember Tom from Eurobike some years ago, there is a very similar system for fat bikes and this mm. is a different one, it's self-charging it's quite mechanical and uses the rotation of the wheel to to add in lower pressure, it's much more agricultural looking than this, and like that's been around for donkey's years and I've never seen one in the <laughs> wild. This is an even more niche application.
2: Would you ever use it in your riding, Simon? <laughs> no. And I think, you know, you, you're, sp- you're kind of, you're spot on. And I had exactly the same thought. And when I did our social post on this, I said, you know, would you, would you spend 4,000 <laughs> euros to be able to change your tire pressure on the go? And of course every reply was no. <laughs> um, and yeah, for a, for a, for a road racer, you know, most, you know, 99% of road races are not held on terrain where this would be useful, you know, Paris-Roubaix and, you know, other cobbled classics, uh, and, you know, races like Strada Bianca, they're, they're so kind of specialized and they only really take place in the world Mm -hmm. tour. You know, there's obviously the... The Rutland Classic in the in the UK, the Rutland
0: Sea Classic. Even our yeah, even our the, own
2: Joe Norledge, <laughs> formerly of this parish, has ridden that. I could see him using <laughs> this and that. But that, but that you know that even that event is only open to elite riders in the UK. So, it, it, I've, I you know I've, I think this is probably has mo- you know more of a home for gravel, mm. uh, and and I could see that if you were taking part in a gravel race and you are very serious about that, then you know it could potentially offer a similar advantage there where you could, you know, change your tire pressures as the terrain, uh, changes. And, you know, that, that could be, that could be a a useful gain and, you know, gravel racing sector is, is a growing market. So maybe that's where they kind of see it going and, you know, partnering with a world tour team ahead of Paris-Roubaix, as as you say, it's a great way to, to get headlines. And, you know, this has been splashed across Mm. every, you know, bike tech website in the world. Of course, you know, the only place you want to read about it is on the best <laughs> multidiscipline <laughs> cycling website, bikeradar.com. But, you know, other outlets have covered it. Looking at it,
0: being slightly more generous as well, like 4,000 euros, it's a lot of money. But I remember some years ago, I think it was they were Team Sky at this point, now Team Ineos. They were running those crazy 3D printed um, titanium TT extensions, which were like 9,000 euros or something. Now, you know, you can have some pretty serious gains Uh, with a well-optimized cockpit on a TT bike however like in Mm. the context of potential savings you know four thousand euros makes you win power bay Mm. you know it's probably quite good value for money and and i
2: think (laughs) and you know that's that's the other thing is obviously i've seen a few comments sort of saying well it's so expensive but if you're a pro team and they sponsor you you don't have to pay anything it's true (laughs) <laughs> and um but yeah you you're totally right like you know those those bars that Ghana uses are you know 3d printed by metron additive engineering you know those are one offs and they cost thousands of thousands of pounds and if you want to change your tt position after that bin it get a new one <laughs> you know like uh, like this isn't going to Stop being useful if you, you know, decide you want to optimize your position on the road bike or whatever. Like, or if you change your wheel set, you can just ch- t- change this across to a different wheel set. It's not even a kind of built-in hub system, though. I'm sure, you know, they probably could build it into a hub if they were to refine it. But the fact that it can be transferred between bikes is quite nice. The only, the only thing I would add is that the website and uh, scope. Uh, are not clear whether that, uh, 3,998 euros is for a set of two. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one for each wheel, or if actually you only get one of these devices and then you have to see if you want to control the tire pressure in both of your wheels and you actually need to spend 8,000 euros. Um, but that would be something, but, but like you say, at the top of the sport, people You know, there are teams with there are teams with big budgets, and if you can get it on a sponsorship agreement, Mm. you don't have to pay anything. You know, like you say, you know, winning a race like Paris Roubaix for many for many teams like that would be worth the money. Yeah, God automatic tire pressure control on road bikes what a time to be alive Man, the, the... one of the one of the one of the funny comments the kind of couple of the funny comments we have are like well it'd be quite interesting to be able to see your tire pressures live though that's a good innovation and i kind of went in and said oh well you know that already exists yes. <laughs> you know you can get a quark tire whiz for three hundred dollars and i was reading seb's review of the quark tire Wiz, and he's like oh it's a bit expensive we'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, be putting disc brakes on road bikes next my
0: goodness <laughs> what a, what a time. Uh, Right, we'll finish on a positive note. We're going to go over, we do this in our, our Monday meetings in the Bike Grader team. We'll bring it to the podcast. Tom Marvin, mm. what's been your highlight from the last couple of weeks on, on the site? What's been your favourite bit of news, oh.
1: reviews, anything? What have you enjoyed reading? Oh, crikey, we're going to have to take a little pause here while I uh, have a quick look back through BikeRadar.com. You, you've read all of my articles, I have be, Tom. I have read all of your articles, yet, yeah, always. <laughs> it could be a personal highlight, Tom. You, know, you can <laughs> toot your own horn. Right. No, no, I think we've done... That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, I think we've done some some good stuff. there's been some good videos on the, our YouTube channel actually um, there's a whole host bicycle-related content on there. Um, yes, there I, would
0: be. You would hope so. On background, like, <laughs> are you struggling to recall anything? At all? I am not struggling to recall. Do you want to throw it over to I'll me throw over then. to Simon while Tom goes through his YouTube. Clearly, not valuing the contributions of his colleagues <laughs> to the site. Simon,
2: at my highlight. I'm gonna I'm gonna call out the uh, Specialized S Works Seven Lace shoes, which. Wow. You know, it might not surprise you to hear that a very expensive pair of cycling shoes are very good cycling (laughs) shoes, but I have a real penchant for uh, lace-up cycling shoes and these are genuinely excellent. I found them incredibly hard uh, to criticise. Now, I know you two have um, tried the uh, S-Works Recon Recon, lace, Tom, Mm -hmm. and you, you, Jack, have tried some other specialised shoes and have found some around the ankle a little bit of initial discomfort, but I didn't even have any of that Uh, I thought the fit is excellent. The laces were great. You know, they've got a kind of aerodynamic profile, you know, very stiff soles. Like they look good. Like, oh, just, a great a great pair of cycling shoes the only the only thing I have with them is I just I don't I don't know about black cycling shoes <laughs> I look down especially with with laces I feel like I'm either sometimes I feel like I'm kind of you know wearing classic cycling shoes like kind of Eddie Merckx or something uh, and then other times I feel like I look down and I'm wearing Oxford shoes <laughs> your little school shoes <laughs> off to
0: take your packed lunch <laughs> on a ride yeah
2: yeah but they are available in white or a kind of coral but I yeah, just genuinely, they were comfortable, they were stiff, they've got an aerodynamic profile. They didn't come with the um, the warp sleeve that the Sub-6 came with, which is a bit of a shame, but that might, that might be released again at some with point. With the what, sorry? The warp. So the warp sleeve is like a kind of cut down time trial overshoe that just covered the laces part and mm. basically gave you the same gains as in a time trial overshoe, but it didn't obviously close off kind of ventilation around your ankle or around the toes. And so you, it was still kind of warmer, easier to put on, all of that sort of stuff. And it was a really, really good idea. And I think they just dropped it because, you know, th- this new shoe, whilst it shares a lot with the old Sub-6, is now marketed as, you know, kind of towards the uh, S-Works, uh AFOS crowd rather than the s works venge crowd who specialized you know put on a catamaran and sent off into the into the sunset <laughs> uh, it's like a swimming cap for your
0: laces i think that's the way i would describe I like it, it. I like it. <laughs> I Good. and simon you, you know you're saying you struggle to criticize them but come on how much do they cost
1: well they cost 300 pounds but most of specialised but, latest shoes are four hundred pounds. Oh, bargain,
2: yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, if you wanted to buy Giro Empire SLXs, or I mean, uh, I've got to have a pair of Nimble Air cycling shoes, those are all more expensive. So an absolute bargain. Yeah, three hundred pounds is a lot of money, but you know, Shimano S Fire shoes cost three hundred and fifty pounds or three hundred and twenty-five pounds. Yeah, it's not unheard like that. of. And to be fair, it's not unheard of. And, and I, you know, in my review, I did say if you're looking for cheap cycling shoes, there are other. Uh, cheaper lace-up options i gave a few examples so fair enough uh, you you know so that's fair enough and you know but they don't have the kind of ultra stiff carbon sole that you get on a top end shoe um and you know whilst the performance benefits of an ultra stiff carbon sole are kind of debatable as we've shown in an excellent article on bikeradar.com i do still believe that they do make a shoe more comfortable so for me i would spend my money on that and i have in the past yeah, you know, before I was a journalist. <laughs> yeah, Tom so Marvin.
1: Yeah, my highlights uh, that I was trying to get to before I was rudely cut off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've just uh, wrapped up uh, a gravel podcast series. and uh, no, sorry, a, um, a getting into cycling podcast series. Yes,
0: getting um, into cycling. Your best, best. 2020 year of writing ever. Yeah,
1: I think some of those were really, really interesting um, with some great guests that Catherine put together. Um, And we're in the middle of recording a Gravel series as well, which has Mm. been, uh, I did a couple yesterday, which were super fun to record. And I think that's going to be a really informative, interesting series that, again, um, our freelancer extraordinaire Catherine uh, is presenting and hosting and pulling together. Um, On a personal note, uh, I've just sent to print what mountain bike
0: oh wow ah, back from the dead
1: back from the dead for a one-off special edition of what mountain bike I
0: think you were a what mountain biker this was a former title uh, as part of the immediate our media stable um sadly the focus moved to mbuk around 2017 18 19, 19. and uh you know it has been revived that you've been you've been leading that one tom
1: i've, I've it's my first ever magazine that I have been editor mm. of um and I'd like to give all the credit actually to the art editor Mark Rutkowski who did an incredible job of putting it all together and I just pulled a few words words here and there from various places and
0: chased me for a foot I never various, me, yes. actually yes
1: so we, we ended up having to last <laughs> minute change an entire DPS spread <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite all right. Um, but yeah, so that's that's been a, that's been a, a fun journey. And when will that be hitting newsstands for our UK listeners? <sighs> Absolutely no idea. Uh, a couple of weeks' time, um, you'll find it. Maybe packaged up with uh, MBUK, or maybe stood alone in WH Smith's. Who knows? Um, I sort of think I should know.
0: You should really uh, yeah. check it out.
1: It'll be a good one. All the details
0: uh, will be on by subscriptions on the Our Media page or. Yeah. Or you can check out the R Media site in general. I'm yeah. sure that that info will be on there. Yeah. I think for me, my personal highlight, quite boring what I'm gonna say, mm. but the um we recently republished an updated guide to electric bike conversion kits. No now way. I don't know about you two, cheeky boys, but I feel like on my commutes to and from work, I have seen more and more mm. of dubious quality, I might add at times, electric bike conversion kits. Um, most often duct taped into the uh, main triangle they, of the Most
1: often ridden by people with big square rucksacks on well, their back. yes, they're definitely
0: a delivery favourite. But, you know, Fair I've height. also seen them for just general commuting. Yeah. And, you know, if they're delivering my delicious pizzas by bike, not Absolutely, on a moped. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, there's a lot of bikes in the world and electric bikes, as we've shown through content on site and just generally, you know, how people use them day to day, have a real potential to kind of turn the tide on urban mobility mm. and you know if we can get electric bike conversion kits which are nearly as good as a proper you know ground up designed uh electric bike i think that can only be a positive thing and off the back of that and the popularity of the piece we are actually going to do a, a little group test of them and i'm genuinely looking forward to seeing the outcome of that
1: because mm. it um
0: yeah, if I had a longer commute and I had a nice bike, it's definitely uh, that I wanted to keep. It was definitely something I would consider.
1: Do we know who gets the joy of fitting various electric bike systems to their bike? Not me, Tom. Hopefully, hopefully not me either.
2: <laughs> no, I, that's that's yet are to you, be determined. Are you going to be testing one of those little two-stroke motors that <laughs> yes. sits in the <laughs> <laughs> sits in the frame center as well? No, that does that kind of goes
0: against my uh, my general right. feelings with them. But no, I, um, <laughs> it's something I enjoyed reading about and anecdotally it feels like something that's becoming more and more popular in the Mm. general buying public. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing how that one goes. Well, thank you very much to my wonderful colleagues for uh, joining me today. That was a very enjoyable one. If you did enjoy this podcast yourself, please do give us a five-star rating. It makes a big difference. Uh, And if you think there's anything we could do better, of course, do give us any feedback. we will be an article accompanying this piece on Bikeradar.com. Do subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, thank you very much for listening. We've got a really good couple months ahead on the podcast. Um, we will be taking it. T- Tom actually normally manages the podcast for the most part, but he's away. He's away off from a jolly for mm. a few months, so we will uh, go on valiantly trying to to hold Cheek a lantern up to your and
1: standard. As we as we as we sit here in the studio, our meeting for planning the next few months has literally just started on MS Teams and our friend Alex Evans is already waiting in the lobby.
0: Well, we're off to go plan some red-hot content. Thank you again for listening. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends, or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.